Hello, and welcome to Seriously Pointless Conversations About Culture, the podcast where myself and a few of my friends get together and discuss nerdy things. Just a reminder, if you like what you're listening to, please subscribe to Seriously Pointless Conversations' YouTube channel, or you can find us on your favorite podcasting apps. Thank you for your support. Without you, none of this would be possible. Thanks for coming by. Now let's get into the episode. Hi, and welcome to Seriously Pointless Conversations About Culture, your Seriously Pointless podcast about all your nerdy and geek things across time. And Hey, hey, listen. Oh, are, you trying to, hey. are you trying to say something, James? Hey, hey, listen. Are you trying to get, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get my attention? What's Shut up and listen to me. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Navi just went deep. James went angry there. Uh, I don't know if I should have called him Navi or James for a minute there, but uh, obviously, guys, uh, from our intro, our obviously disturbing intro that we've had there, so that... Uh, uh, we were going to be talking about The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Uh, probably one of the, if I would say personally, one of the greatest games ever created, honestly. Uh, uh, especially for 64-era games, yeah, Ocarina of Time is amazing. This was probably one of the pinnacles of game-making, especially coming out of Nintendo um, in the last, you know, 30, 40 years almost, probably, I would say. Yeah, Ocarina of Time and its cousin game, Majora's Mask, were both really tours to force of what you could do on that hardware. A hundred percent. So before we get into this, James, um, I know we just recently came out with our other uh, November news segment. Um, What have you been up to, man? Have you been uh, watching anything new? I know. I know it is. I know you're breaking the fourth wall, James. You're letting them know they do these back to back. Have you done anything? Have you have you done anything new, James? Oh, not too much. Um, the new season. Uh, I don't know. You're just gonna make something up. You're like, I don't know. I don't do things anymore. Leave me alone. Okay, I'll go first. How about that? You, you, want go, me first. First? you go first. So um, that's why you got to hold a little back, James. You can't give them everything. Normally, I plan this in advance, but I just wasn't ready today. It's okay, James. I've so got, I've still got night shift break, okay? You can so, give me some slack. I, I 100% give you some slack because I was totally there for years. So um, on my end, though, uh, I have definitely been uh, – we actually – my wife and I have actually finished up uh, the new season of Made in Abyss. So I'll send you the link. I'll send you a link. Be prepared to cry, James. Okay. I, I appreciate a good cry, yeah. It is definitely. It's got the violence in there if you want it, but it obviously it's got the same tone as that the first couple the first season had. But it is so good. It is. It's bizarre, but it's so good, and I enjoyed it so much. And okay. I, I had my wife. It had my wife saying, "God damn, God damn, <laughs> oh god damn." Coming from Jackie, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> she was not expecting some of the stuff because some of the messed up stuff that goes down and. About halfway through the season, she's like, everyone in this season is just, they're awful people. And then at the end of the season, she's like, okay, everyone's not terrible, but they, it's, still, it's still... It's I don't, abyss. You know it's all going to be awful. Yeah, but they do have, people do have some redemptive qualities into it. So just be prepared to say to yourself, oh, god damn. <laughs> That's all i got to say. So, But it was really good, and I've enjoyed it quite a bit. So I am probably going to be starting up on some of the uh, My Hero Academia uh, anime catching up a little bit more because I know I'm probably easily I didn't do I say I haven't watched anything past the um oh what was the arc the undercover 
superhero, you know, the guy that does the wings, I can't remember his name. Yeah. He goes undercover in the villains. Mm-hmm. Haven't really haven't really finished up that arc yet, so I'm pretty far behind right now. Well, the next arc is actually really good. It's kind of a villain arc. I really want to watch that, so I'm that's it's, it's very good. That's my plan to watch that. And then I'm also planning on getting into the um a uh, new season of Ancient Magus Bride with Jackie because she's really that's one of her top series that she actually enjoys watching. That um I think it straddles that um uh uh younger or scratches that that soap opera itch a little bit, but it's also <laughs> got some fantasy elements. It's so it. beautiful, yeah. It's... And, and it's really and the thing on top of it though is really well done though. So mm-hmm. I I can enjoy that a lot about it. But so even though I kind of even though it's more about relationships and things like and that. that produced are, by X-Family as well. That was pretty good. Too. I finished that up. That was really good. I enjoyed that it's a lot. It's got another season coming out this time, too. That's right, it does. So It's all staring. But, yeah, I know. it's This is going to be a busy fall and winter season for anime fans. That's all i got to mm-hmm. say. So, uh, Gaming-wise, though, um, I've got a couple things on that I'm going to try and hit up before we get together next month, though. Um, Kraken Academy which looks kind of like a pixel art, um, maybe not really a roguelike game, but it's definitely more like self-contained areas where you have to fight and get through. But it definitely has kind of that, uh, what is it called whenever it's the kind of the story, the storybook games where like, you know, they do with a lot of the, the animes where they have those and they have this, like the, the different game type things. Kind of like, things, yeah. your option. Yeah, kind of thing a little bit. It, it seems interesting, so I'm going to try and hit that up and try to play that hopefully here. Um, I've also got uh, the Hot Wheels racing game preloaded on my PS4. Which, the Super NES Hot Wheels game, you were playing that one back Yes. In the day? That one was pretty lit. That was awesome. This has a lot of those really random, like, uh, uh, cars that you can play, and it's all the ones that, like, there's like, it's the Batman car, or you can play the... the or you could play the band car. Yes, you know, things like that. And so it's, it'll be fun. I think some of the stuff, though, is locked behind a paywall for, like, downloadable content. You have to buy the download for, like, the different regions that you can play in and whatnot. But I probably won't touch any of that. But it just seems like it's a fun little maybe four or five-hour time waste I could throw in there. and just like it'd be a lot of fun. So, but, yeah, it's all those weird tracks where, you, like, they loop around and do weird things that they shouldn't do in real life. And I, I think it'd be fun, so. But yeah, do you have anything slated on your plate? I know you said last time you said you were playing Nino Kuni 2. Playing Nino Kuni 2, I'm going to try and finish that one up this week. Going to be playing the Pokemon game next. What uh, Pokemon game? I haven't heard anything about a Pokemon game, I James. I don't know nothing about it. I'm going to get the Scarlet one, I've decided. <laughs> but anyway, now I've got to do some real life stuff. I'm going to start a batch of wine. Oh, yeah. I've got to work on the backsplash in my kitchen a little bit. There you go. So we replaced our stove, and of course the new stove is a little shorter than the old stove, and so a little bit more of the wall can be seen. And now I figured out something to do that's not going to cost me an arm and a leg. So are you going to do this? I'm going to do it myself. So when I'm going to when I come over next time, are you going to be like uh, Michelangelo sitting beneath the Sistine Chapel, getting paint dropped in your face? I will. As I say, that's uh, kind of what I assumed. I I just want you to come Bring up a and tear to your eyes. But you have to. But you have to get up whenever I say hi, James. You have to start cursing at me in Italian, though. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> James is like, I have to learn some Italian curse words now. <laughs> you just gotta get mad and wave your arms around, right? That's what they do. I can just bite my thumb at you, right? Oh, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? Or do, I, do you do like the ear thing and the ear pulling? I have no idea, too? man. That's yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the ear one is supposed to be like a deadly insult. In Italy. 
movies. So I'm going to take your word for it. The thumb biting is not anymore, but I remember the ear one was in a Stephen Colbert bit, so I'm pretty sure that one's still insulting. Dude, I'm telling you, man, European like insults are way more nuanced than American ones. <laughs> I mean, they've been there for a long time. They've they've had some time to develop. Would you say there's a culture around insults? Cultured insults? So. I mean, it's the type of place where people are holding grudges for wars that happened four centuries ago. I mean, there's a lot of old memories in that mm. place. Sounds the kind of place that my wife could go and probably fit in quite well. She'd probably have a good time. She definitely remembers the time I did not fold the clothes like seven years ago, probably. I think it's important early on in good marriage to establish <laughs> that you're incapable of doing laundry. You know? <laughs> or folding it correctly, for that matter. That's definitely true. Just lower those expectations a few notches. I know. And I try. And I fold it. And I put it on her dresser. And then I come back. And it's folded a completely different way. And she doesn't say anything about it. Because <laughs> she knows there's no fixing me. So. But anyways, that's a little bit what we've been going into. But. This month, guys, the game review, like I said earlier, is going to be one of the legendary games that we have both loved um, and just enjoyed thoroughly uh, during its whole you know, life cycle. Uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Which still has a very active speedrunning. Oh my god, yeah. So, so heavy still. So, a uh, quick little uh, glurb about it. Um, the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is an action-adventure game developed and published by Nintendo for Nintendo 64. Um, and it was released in Japan and North America in November of 1998 and in the Pacific Asian regions uh, the following month. Uh, Ocarina of Time is the first in this game series, uh, the Legend of Zelda series with 3D graphics. So um, that's just a short little glurb about it. Um, so obviously, James, this came around. This was this came around came out around the time of how you would how you would say. Our um, video game awakening, I would say. Yes, this is at the age when we had enough money to actually buy video games. Oh yeah, you know you're you're old enough to mow lawns and make ten bucks a week, but you're not so old to have things to actually spend your money on. So we bought a lot. It's what we like to call the sweet spot in life. Exactly, you're you're old enough. You have some hand-eye coordination. <laughs> you have a little bit of money to waste on stuff like this. It's not like when you're younger when you just have to wait for a Christmas or something. Yeah, although the best to be argued, though, the best presents did come around Christmas time a lot of times. But but this came around, this was ostensibly, uh, this was uh, during our grade school era, grade school era, um, just before we got into high school. I'd say that this was, what, fifth, sixth grade probably for us, I'm thinking? 98, we graduated in 06 from high school, four years, high 2002. 2002. So, yeah, this would be like fifth, sixth grade. Somewhere. So, yeah, this was this was the game, um, or one of the games, uh, the era. 64 era was a huge era for us in, in grade school. Because I'm trying to think, I know you had a 64. Did Chris Sire have a 64 at all that you remember? Sorry, I, had one too, yeah. I know I did not, and that's why I had to go over to your house and bum off you guys. And it, I enjoyed it thoroughly. So, this, 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 this console was many a night. Many this a sleep overnight for our for our right, grades, yeah. definitely our grade school era. So, um, let me ask you this, James: Did you get this when it first came out? I can't remember. I believe I did. Okay, I got this when it first came out. I want to say that they had an advertisement for this game in the Mortal Kombat movie. I, remember. I couldn't tell you. Or maybe it was a Spider-Man movie, or the Power Rangers movie. I don't really. No. This was back when this game was one of the first video games to get advertised, like. An ad reel for a real studio movie. Very much so, yeah. Uh, Ocarina of Time was highly marketed. It was huge, and yeah, I did get it when it first came out. So, yeah, that was this was the, one of the things. Though. So, the, even though this wasn't a 
a debut launch title, which is what they try to do nowadays. And especially this yeah. is kind of where they started that. They started that with a lot of their systems, especially with you know like the uh, they, Super they Nintendo. Launched, they launched with Mario sixty four, which is yes. also amazing. Which that that's a that's the thing that they they really try to go into, and so that's that's something to talk about a little bit on the on its development though, was that they really tried to. Uh, they tried to uh, 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 mimic. I wouldn't say mimic. They tried to um, shadow this a little bit with the um, Mario sixty four a little bit. They basically tried to to, to play it off of it a little bit to show, say, kind of use similar engine from what I remember. Mm-hmm. And so you can, if you watch it and you play it a lot, it definitely has very similar aspects on how it moves and plays and things like that. But it's also a different tone to it, right? If you remember correctly, as we were yes, as we went through it, so Ocarina of Time has a epic story, which is very similar in a lot of ways to Link to the Past. Very much so, and that's the very much that's the big difference it's I think a between Zelda formula game. Yes, and that and they kind of mixed it up more in the years afterwards. But this was a pretty much a three D version of Link to the Past. It was oh yeah, big, and that's the thing too, right? You know, it's like that's the thing you kind of come to love and enjoy about. Uh, Nintendo a little bit more. Knowing what I know now about 64, they were already pushing the size of what those cartridges can hold. 100%, yeah. In terms of a game of this format, the next one that comes to mind is like Donkey Kong 64, which really had to have an expansion pack to even run it. Yes. And that's something we're going to touch a little bit as we get into the development cycle of it, but um, a real quick uh, overview of the story on it so um i don't know you've obviously you know the story so but i want to tell the whole world the story so uh the story goes yeah i mean it's a zelda game right but in case you guys don't know it the and kind of where our titular intro came for this was uh the fairy navi awakens link from a nightmare in which he witnesses a man in black armor pursuing a young girl on horseback navi brings link to the great deku tree who is cursed and near death the deku tree tells link a wicked man of of the desert cursed him and seeks to conquer the world and that link must stop him before stop him before dying the great De- great deku tree gives so link the the spiritual stone of the forest and sends him to hyrule castle to speak with the princess so as you go through um you find out that um link is basically going to be fighting gandorf who in this game he's not the same he doesn't look like the same gandorf as he does in other games right he has a much more kind of human or elfin appearance in this. Yes. He looks more normal, less monster. I would call him almost kind of like a grotesque version of whatever race Zelda and Link are, I would call. Yeah, he, he's like a Hylia. Yeah. Yeah, almost. But he's kind of like, but he's he's definitely bigger and like he's got darker skin and he's got red hair. But he's, I, so I guess you would equate him to almost like Dark Elves, I well, guess. because this is one of the games that had a Ganon character, sorry, a Ganondorf character who is always yes. featured as a wizard character. Usually he's a male Sheikah, not male Sheikah, male uh, Rudo. Yes. And he's like a, a main character who is revealed to be bad. And then you find out in the end game that he's being controlled by this evil monster Ganon. Yes. And Link to the Past had this too, where like there's this two phase game. I think even, gosh, this old NES one had a second story too. Yes. Along the same lines. Which they they haven't done that as much lately. It's been much more kind of 
if there is a second villain with Ganondorf being the second one, it's someone entirely separate. It's not like a Ganon possessing them. No, it's good. It's interesting. The, the game itself is divided up into kind of two phases, right? There's yes. a, a child phase and an adult phase. So did they... As opposed to the earlier Zelda games, yeah. you had a light world and a dark world. This one has a child world. I was going to ask, because I haven't played a lot of the the earlier ones. I didn't know if they did that. I know they do... He, he definitely looks more like a child in like Link to the Past. But in like Zelda 2, whether it's that side-scroller, he looks much more adult, I guess you would say. I haven't played Zelda 2. I've watched some playthroughs of it, but uh, it's kind of got a different structure to it. So, yeah. So, I'm... yeah, this one has, same as Link to the Past does, the child phase has three kind of starter dungeons, whereas Link to the Past had three light world dungeons. Yes. And then the adult one has, what, seven, I think, or six? A lot. So I, I know a lot more, yeah. I think it's six adult ones, where I think there's eight but yeah it's it's quite a big difference and so i really like that they they kind of put this element in there that they take some elements from the old like snes games and the nes games and they kind of move them into this new era because it does that right it kind of connects you with the old but also show it gives you something new right which is really fun i think that's kind of something they they move into with the story particularly and also with the gameplay as well, like they it's, they they kind of move in with very very similar um, gameplay tactics and things like that, and how the game moves. But if you look at it as you go through and play the game and go through the dungeons and go through the story, it's all it's <laughs> this is plot point by plot point at just another Zelda game, right? It is, and that's and that's part of the fun of these Zelda games is yeah. that it's. It's a classic hero's journey type story. Yep. It always features a whole bunch of dungeons. There's always a princess to save. There's always a bunch of items to collect. And then part of the fun of the series is just how they rearrange them. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And then how they kind of put a twist on it. So, like Wind Waker, for example, put it on a big ocean. That's right. And you got to wave those weed, those weed chucks, James. You got to wiggle them. <laughs> you got to make that wind go. go fast. Yeah. You got to make that go, but go fast. I, I, I don't know how many hours I watched Candace play that game because she loved Wind Waker. So Wind Waker also goes down as one of the Zelda greats. In fact, actually, there hasn't really been a bad Zelda game for a while except for Spirit Tracks. What are you talking about, We're James? Talk about <laughs> Most people probably even don't even know it exists. There's a good reason for that. Even Minish Cap, which was not like one of the better ones, it was still pretty decent. Minish I enjoyed Minish Cap it. was a lot of fun to play. I, I have my... It had some annoying moments to it. Oracle <laughs> of Ages... Yeah, the Rod of Seasons were both definitely good. Yes. Um, heck, even the Cadence of Hyrule was fun. If you played that one. Yes, your beat game. <laughs> it's very short. It's not worth the price they sold it for, but it, it is fun. They were literally like, we can make money off this. Let's slap Zelda on it. Smack. Take a link in Zelda, and you're going to fight through the bad things, but with a beat. Dun, dun, the reason dun, I dun, got dun. it was because... It's full co-op, so it was something I could play with my wife and we could sit down and have fun. Fair enough. We had a nice evening playing it together. Cadence of Hyrule, a couple bottles of wine, it was a good thing. I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. I've tried I tried doing stuff with that with Jackie for years, and she's just like, I don't like these. These make my head hurt. I'm done with this. And I'm like, okay. I, you could do a couple Stardew Valley saves and did that. Anyway, she doesn't. We're, we're getting off topic now. She doesn't like to do that kind of stuff, but... But either way, though, so as you kind of go through, like you were saying earlier, um, you have this first section, right, 
where you go through these temples, you kind of learn as young Link and you learn how to do the stuff, right? You learn how the gameplay mechanics work. You learn kind of a little bit more about the, the world because as you're going, even though it's Hyrule and you've been in Hyrule before, right? You, it still looks different because of the graphics. It's also still got like a different tone to it. Well, and right. one of the interesting things I think they did with the child adult thing is that there's a passage of time, right? Yeah. And so they do like you, a, in this, I think it said it was it's a like full, a seven year, yeah, time seven year, yeah. And so there is some change to the area. So like you know the towns and stuff have different things. Like Hyrule itself is kind of gone to pot yeah. while you're gone, but also like the dungeons and puzzles, most of them are static, and so there is a size difference between child and adult link. Yeah. And Adult Link jumps further. He can climb higher walls and stuff. Yep. And so there's a lot of things you can do. That you just excuse me. You just can't do as child. Link. But take a hiccup, please. Vice versa too. And so even once you become Adult Link, you still go back and forth very regularly. Yes. So and that's that's the thing. And talking about the difference in the dungeons and moving from one thing to another, that's something I was reading beforehand. Was that they specifically were trying to. And this is what you're going to get all the time whenever you have a game that comes from Japan. They specifically tried to put in um, a Shinto style or Shinto have a Shinto background, essentially. If you look all the all the early dungeons when you're a kid, like the, the water dungeon where you have to yeah. go in, what's his face's belly or whatever it is. Yeah, Java Java. Java Java. It's all kind of bright and happy and you're kind of like, at one, everything seems to be normal and happy and things yeah. like that. And once you go to adult version, Link, things are not so friendly looking. The world has been kind of corrupted. And that's yeah. part of the plot point is that, yeah, you were supposed to save Gan as a kid, but you get trapped in the Temple of Time. Yes. And now you're seven years later, he's been ruling the world and everything's kind of just gone to pot. Yeah, and they kind of, they, they like, say... That's and you kind of, see it in the world, too. Like, the music, the color palette, everything is yeah. just much darker as an adult. And they do that, I think, on purpose, because, like they said, they kind of, they have a very much... They kind of, if you think about it, a lot of these guys grew up coming out of, like, World War II in Imperialist Japan a little bit. So you have that kind of understanding, like, oh, well, our follies took us to the edge with trying to be this superpower and i think a lot of them are now trying to kind of come to grips with like hey how do we live in harmony in our own environment in our world i mean that's a very that's a very japanese thing harmony and you kind of see this ebb into their 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 game a little bit more too and you kind of see like this is what happens it's kind of like watching a miyazaki movie right this is what happens (laughs) whenever you don't you whenever you don't sit in balance things don't stay in balance Things get out of whack. Well, and, and so you have things like Death Mountain, the volcano is Exactly, nuts. exactly, right? The lake has dried up. The yeah. Zora's area is frozen over. Like, every every natural element of the game has been corrupted whenever you're in adult link form. Which is, which is like you said, it's, it's, just, it's amazing that they kind of throw that in there. And, I, and, it, and it makes it, like you said, whenever, since everything's been corrupted and changed, it also, like you said earlier it kind of ratches up the difficulty a little bit since you have these newer abilities, well, exactly. right? Like when you're in the forest area, for example, all of the cute little animals have turned into werewolves when you're an adult. Yes. And they're a lot, they're a little bit harder to kill actually. So, yeah. and it's, 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 it's much the more fun. The shrubs are now angry and 
contact you on site, and there's like all kinds of stuff that goes on. I know, and, and that's kind of, I guess that's that's one of those fun things to enjoy because once you get to that point, you've kind of got a handle on the game a little bit, and and it's nice to have a little bit of a difficulty bump. And I think this game does it a lot better than a lot of other games, even with with the kind of drawbacks that it now that it has on graphics and camera angles and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. So, but. But yeah, that's kind of our, our overview of like what we felt about it and things like that. So let's get into the development a little bit. Um, yeah. So the development, Ocarina of Time was originally developed uh, concurrently with Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64. Um, but the problem they ran into is was that where the Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64 were going to be exclusively on the cartridges... They actually had a periphery. They they found out that the game they were they were actually angling for this to be on a peripheral, a um that they add on a disc drive a yeah. disc drive that basically did uh sixty four I think it was 60, 64 megs is what it was okay um and it was going to be a disc game actually they were trying to get these um these these disc games like they were trying to compete a little bit with uh, Sony at the time right. Mm. So, but I think what happened was... Um, and and this is where ridiculous console peripherals were a big thing for a long 100%, time. A hundred percent, yeah. For anyone too young to remember this stuff. Or 16 megs, I apologize. They're initially targeting uh, 16 megs, but they actually increased it up to uh, 32. So, Which I want to say is just about the biggest those cartridges would hold. Yeah. Full. So, early on, they, they really tried to... Um, make it to where they can have the uh, uh, s- storage constraints on, on the cartridge, and they were really trying to figure out how to work around that because the way things were set up in, like, Mario 64, you have a lot of, like, open area behind you that's just sky. It doesn't take a lot of pixels. Well, in, like, Ocarina of Time, you have a lot of overhanging overlays yeah. that do take up a lot more, even though it might just be, you know... Well, pattern over 64 part of what makes it feel expansive is that you have all these little subworlds yes and people don't think about it because you just kind of played the game and that's how it was but this whole like you know portal to a different smaller map area thing was something a lot of games in that time period did to save on space and save on power like spyro is another good example of that for the playstation era is that you know you would go to these little mini worlds and like you said a lot of these were like a small island was all that had to be rendered and then all the skybox was just skybox it's it's empty space it doesn't take much processing power it doesn't take much memory mm-hmm. these little bitty islands are much much cheaper computationally than trying to render a big castle with a field and like all this stuff that actually exists yeah 100% so i think that's where they kind of had to make some some sacrifices and i think that's where they because initially they they were trying to when i was reading into this a little bit more they were really wanting to push it uh miyamoto especially which mm-hmm. if you guys don't know the name he, he basically created this character yeah so um and mario for extension essentially so um he he was really pushing this in a particular art direction mainly as wanting it to be a first-person view, because Mario, like you said, they were wanting to have something slightly different than Mario when it came out. And then Mario was a third-person view, right? You yeah. ran around, things like that. He wanted you to actually feel like you were Link. 
right? Mm-hmm. And wanted to have that view on there. But I think there was quite a bit of pushback from the development team from what I was reading. And they wanted to basically, they didn't want it. They wanted it to be just like with uh, um, uh, six, Mario 64, the Mario game. They wanted to basically have it where you could go in and out of that uh, uh, third from third person to first person view. And I think they eventually settled on, which is what we had in the end, which is where you can go between that combat. It's a third person view, but when you hold down the Z trigger, yeah. then it goes to first person view. Exactly. Yeah. And then that's kind of what the compromise was, because I think it was testing, not as te- it wasn't testing as well. And I think they also found out that doing that constant first person view was a slog on some of the memory pool that it was doing. So well, it's also just not something games did at that time, too. No, not and at all. It sounds like there was technical limitations, which I wasn't aware of as a kid, but at the time, playing a first-person game was hard compared to a third-person Oh, yeah. Game. I mean, the only time you really had first-person game, first-person like, shoot, like, yeah, Doom. Like, I didn't even play Star Fox in first-person mode. I preferred the third-person mode. Yeah, and, and I even still enjoy third-person modes a little bit more, I think, than I do first-person mm-hmm. For whatever reason, whenever I, if I don't have, if I do, like, a first-person mode, I feel like I almost need to have, like, a pair of goggles over my face, and it, like, immerses me a little bit more. More of kind of like a meta thing, I yeah. guess you could say. But uh, it just never really appealed but to me all that the much. the Past has, like, a weird hybrid to it, though, where oh, yeah. it slips in and out of it. Like, a lot of the game is in first-person but some actions will pull you out to third person. Like the Z target always pulls you out to third person. Yes. Like sometimes like the bow is first person, except when it's not. And it's, it's a little strange how it goes back and forth, but it, it works. So that's something else. Talking about the gaming, the, 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 um, the weapon systems. Um, this was something I really thought was really interesting was that uh, I'm going to butcher this gentleman's name was a, he is a, uh, actually this, this was Miyamoto. Miyamoto was actually really wanting to have is the uh, Kenbara, which is the uh, Japanese genre of Japanese sword fighting, which was actually pretty heavily uh, stylized in a lot of their older movies. As, you know, ostensibly, these were uh, uh, westerns for Japanese culture, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were very popular back in the day, about the same time as westerns were in the U.S., um, but he really wanted this kind of style of fighting to be, or sword fighting to be put in the game. And so they actually had uh, more than 120 people, including stunt performers, used to capture the effects of fight of the sword fighting and the Link's movement. And you see this a lot within the game. So, like, you, you see when he pulls out the, you know, the uh, uh, the Master Sword or whatever. Is it it's the Master Sword? Yeah, yeah. He pulls out the Master Sword, and you can see him. He automatically takes that stance. It's just, like, the stereotypical stance. stance yeah. and, he, and then he and then he does all the... Every movement he makes, you can tell this is very much a traditionalist, like, Japanese style of fighting, almost. Yeah, which is interesting, because then you get a shield, and it's kind of more of a Western sort of words type. Yeah, style, but, and the sword play actually works really well for the game. It uh, it has a natural fluidity to it. It has several different styles of sword strike you can do, and they're all contextual, like based on how you're moving at the time. And so it, it flows very nicely, especially for a game from that time period. And so there's another another thing too. Which uh, I think is better than some of the more recent Zelda games where you have motion controls. They want you to like shake the motion control stick in the right position. Yeah, it's like just... that was that was one of the worst things about uh, Skyward Sword. 
yeah. it's still really annoying is it's it's such an emotion control driven game that to play it you have to be shaking the, the Joy-Con around. And that's just that's a limitation I think of them trying to integrate the new software and peripherals into a gaming mm-hmm. a game design. I think it's kind of that's that's kind of a them issue, and that's just them trying to shoehorn a little bit inside of cell consoles. But it is, it is what yeah, it is. It's so part of the console. But um, another interesting kind of thing that they developed in here was the obviously the uh, the Navi system was, for lack of a better word, um, basically something that helped kind of move you along within the story or help you find things. It helped you like specify who you were talking to. Like if yeah. you wanted to talk to someone who was like up on a ledge, you would yeah. have to see target them. Yeah. It's like it lets you pick the one you're fighting. It lets you home in on like something in the environment you wanted to like inspect. Yes. Like it was a pretty core mechanic to try and make this 3D world thing work in a fluid way. Yeah. And and that was where the pinnacle thing of, of wherever her was uh, the hey listen whenever you try to get her to do something like or you put her on something she would try to grab your attention on how to do something. And it was very, after hearing that about 5,000 times, you kind of get over it a little bit. But, so you know, Originally, it was supposed to be just like a generic marker. Yes. And uh, then they changed it into a fairy to make it more fantasy-esque and less robotic. To be fair, I can understand that completely. Which became the fairy navigation system and eventually became Navi, and then they wrote it into the storyline. Yeah, and and that's, that's definitely 100% understandable. And she, yeah, she definitely has gained the ire of many, many a, a person throughout the years because of that just high-pitched voice of how she listened. I just want to know who voiced her because I'm sure, I'm sure some, there's people out there just like absolutely hate that voice. Uh, I, I could look it up, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll have to look it up later just, just to kind of see, but. Another thing they did was the cutscenes in the game. Which was something they didn't do a whole lot of. Even in Super Mario, they didn't have a lot of cutscenes. Not a lot. There was a few. Yeah. At the time, a lot of cutscenes were like pre-rendered with motion capture. They may be in-engine or not. Final Fantasy is a good example of this. Something from the same time Very period. Very much, yeah. They had pre-rendered full motion video for all the cutscenes, which is why it looks totally different than the in-game stuff. Yes, and that stuff uses up an awful lot of space, which is part of the reason why Final Fantasy was on four discs. <laughs> yeah. Which is way, way, way more space than this game had, which was like 32 megabytes. Yep. It's also another reason why they're still doing that today. Like you have, even with the new Final Fantasy remakes, they're, it's literally going to be broken up into three parts. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So. And so this game used in-mode, in, sorry, in-engine cutscenes. They weren't pre-rendered. Yes. All they did was they recorded a series of instructions for the models, and then they kind of acted out for you. Which is it comes up. It takes yeah. more computing power, but it takes a lot less space. Yeah, and that's that is something that was pretty, like you said, pretty unique for the time because they didn't they didn't do it a whole lot, and so it required them to really uh, build up on that the camera, the in game camera that they had initially for the Mario sixty four. I think they, I believe they used a different one. I'd have to look it up again, but I believe they used a different Mario, uh, a, def, a different um, system. Uh, yeah, okay, so they, that's what they did. They did They did upgrade it a little bit. So they, they did use different um, different engines in regarding the, the camera control. Um, major difference was between uh, the two is the camera control. The 
in this one, uh, or I'm sorry, in this one, they actually had significantly less camera control and that it's largely controlled by AI as opposed to in, in 64, it's controlled by the, 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 the player. So I think they could optimize it a little bit more and they were able to write it in a little bit more and it required, and so it required less guesswork on the player's part of trying to like, hey, this is the best angle, this is not the best angle. But it yeah. was also could be detrimental if you hit a hit an angle at a right at a right point. But I think doing that allowed them to put in those big cutscenes, like you said, because they could control it a lot more. Yeah, so there was like ninety minutes of cutscenes in this game, yeah. which is absolute insanity. <laughs> it's it's darn near to the point of Final Fantasy level cutscenes. It's a full movies worth of cutscenes. <laughs> so I enjoyed that. That's one of the things I did enjoy playing it quite a bit with you was that uh, they had those cutscenes. I could kind of take a break from like my thumbs, mm-hmm. take a break, especially with that, the way that controller oh, was set up. See, the gameplay, I think we've talked about a bunch of that. They did a little bit of gameplay, little things, like I said, that they added differently. Um, other than, uh, was the Z targeting. We've talked about that a little bit more. Uh, projectiles and bombs in a 3d space. Were yes. Interesting. So for example, the arrows you shot from your bow had physics and they fell over time. Yes. The bombs would go different distances depending on how fast you were running. I mean, yep. there was, some stuff in there that wasn't really done yet, and it's because we were first entering this 3D game space. And so the the big, the other big thing that they threw into this was the um, playing on the ocarina, right? Yes. So to have different things happen within the game, which was originally intended to be way more complicated than it ended up. Thank God. <laughs> and in fact, actually, if you go in game and you just pull up the ocarina. The controls that you use to play the in-game songs are like the six buttons on the front of the controller. Yep. But you can still access the original controls and use the L and R buttons to pitch yourself up and down. Mm-hmm. And so the ocarina will play a full full musical range. It plays like a full octave with half steps. That's really cool. And so I didn't know can, that. You can play full songs on the ocarina in-game, which was originally you were intended to play more complicated music, and they eventually decided to cut it down and make you play like the six notes and then it kicks in with the rest of the song. That's really cool. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So, but apparently like within this, you're required to learn the 12, no, I think it was up to 12 different uh, melodies that help you solve uh, music-based puzzles and things like that and help you teleport and things like that. That was a really cool thing that they threw in there um, that they had not done. And I think they, do they do that in any other That's games? That's been reprised, I think, in most Zelda games since okay. then. So uh, it's it's a staple now. George Mask had the same thing, and yeah, a lot of those. Yeah, I remember. Feature. I definitely Not remember them. Not all of them feature them as something you can just whip out and play, but like Skyward yeah. Sword had finding sacred songs as a key mechanic, though mm-hmm. it mostly was kind of done once to unlock. Yeah, I never played Skyward Sword. That's my that's my downside. My and downfall. They released a, a remake for the the Switch, which is pretty playable. Okay. Some of the features translate awkwardly. But most of it's very, very playable. Uh, it's to, I enjoy it. It's fun. I might have to get it's into not, it. It's though. not the best Zelda game, but it's fun. <laughs> I'll have to go in but there and Wind, Wind Waker used the song thing extensively. I, I do know that, yeah. So that was pretty cool that they, they enjoyed that, um, that they put that mechanic in there that lasted so long. So, um, Well, obviously this all culminated to um, having it been released. You know, obviously, it, it, it didn't come out initially at the same time as Smurf 64, like they were planning to, um, it got pushed back several times and eventually they actually decided, uh, they were going to, uh, have it release in, in 1998. So I think it was originally slated for 90, 
97. It was supposed to be a 97 Christmas release. So. And didn't quite make it. Which is understandable. Said, Miyamoto blamed it later on Yoshi's story being prioritized, which Yoshi's story was highly publicized as well. Yes. Uh, if you remember the mania around that, the special edition white and black Yoshi plushes. Yes. That you had to like buy a physical copy of the game and send in the like you know, part of the box to get the Yoshis. I mean, it was a whole thing, which it turned out to be a really good game too. But it was really good. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit actually. So. But obviously, this was one of their their biggest um, their biggest hits that they had gone to. So, in a it says here, so so throughout the the nineties, uh, the Nintendo sixty four was said to late to lack for hit first party games. Uh, Next generation wrote that Nintendo absolutely can't afford another <laughs> and all right can't afford another holiday season without a real marquee title and Zelda and that Zelda was one of the most anticipated games of the decade. Upon which Nintendo's 64 fate depended. Uh, apparently, Nintendo spent 10 million on their marketing. Like you were saying, it was just they just flushed a ton of it out there. Um, and whenever they finally uh, got in uh, pre-orders, which one of which you could get the a limited edition box with a golden plastic card redeeming collector's edition, and the obviously which is a kickback to the collector's edition yes. for the NES version of the game. And other things too. Then they also came out with the. Uh, it was included with the gold colored cartridge, which was one of the, was the first thing time that we'd ever seen something like this. Right? You see it later on with like things like Golden Eye. Uh, well, they, they did before the NES version had a gold cartridge. Oh, and, it did, didn't I? Apologize. And the Super NES version, I may have. No, I don't think the Super NES version had a gold cartridge, but the original NES game had a gold. So cartridge. that was a callback. To them, it was so. a callback. Yeah. Oh wow! So that's pretty cool. Then, so I didn't even know that. So. Uh, obviously, so this was one of the big things, selling points that to get a um, to get the uh, get the the get the um, oh wow, one of my th- the units out the door is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. so apparently, this was just one of the best selling games that they had sold, or pre selling games that they had ever had. Um, obviously, it was a huge blockbuster hit, uh, from what I gathered, um, and it I know I couldn't find actual. Um, any actual numbers on this? It would be hard to get at this point because the game's been re-released a couple times. Now. And I think that's what was kind of what I was running into. But from what I gathered, it was just re- it was it was akin to the Mario sixty four launch. It was a runaway game, and in yeah. a lot of ways, it saved the console. A hundred percent, yeah. Which is an this is a recurring story for Nintendo over the years. We've talked about it more than once. Before. Yeah, they have a tendency to bring out a new console. They'll put out a really amazing Mario game. And then nothing. Yes. And then nothing. And then there'll be a Zelda game or something, and then there'll be nothing. Yeah. You'll have an upsurge in, in popularity because people love that new Zelda game, and then it'll dip back down again. And that's part of what's made the Switch better for them is the in between their amazingly consistent first party releases, yes. there's indie games and stuff you can play. Yes. And I think they've been better about being open to letting people, indie games in particular, come in. Come onto their platform yeah. and port onto their platform because that's that's the most impressive thing about Nintendo is that their first party game titles are consistently, like, you know, decade defining games. Yeah, for the, since their beginning, they've consistently pushed the envelope and put out really amazing stuff. But you have to wait for it. Yes, they are definitely a long time for. They are definitely one of those boutique stores that just doesn't put out things very often. Yeah, so we'll do it when we're ready. To I do know. It. 
So that's one of those really cool things that you just really see that it's been it's been revamped. You know, was it more than once, or they did a real? They I'm trying to remember if they did a re. They did. Uh, they released an HD version for the GameCube. Yes, I'm and trying to remember. Then, I don't remember if it was available on the Wii U store or not. A lot of these SNES games were on the Wii U store. Uh huh. And then it might. I think it's on the Switch now too. I know they definitely came out with uh, the original 64 version on like a. Uh, I think it's on the Nintendo Switch Online right which now. Which it has. It was not very good. Plus, plus the booster pass. Oh God! Don't get me started. Hey, you know what? If you want to play a Zelda game, you can find <laughs> you can it. Play a Zelda game. Yeah, I, I'm saying I'm out of the of the mind. Is like if you can find, if they want to charge me ten dollars a year to play that on there, I'm like I'm just gonna go find it someplace else. Or, or, or... I, ha- I haven't bought the booster pass for the Switch yet, but I'm sure one day I'll feel like I need to play a Zelda game and I'll probably buy it. For you, I just think that is. For your, po- your Pokemon game will run out, won't it, James? It'll run out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess so overall, James, how many uh, Navis out of 10 would you give this? If you're going to call the Navi, then I have to give it like a 2, but it's a 10 out of 10 game. Yes, it is. You, w- I wouldn't give it any Navis. If it was my choice, there would be no Navis. I'll give it 10 Sarayas out of 10. Okay, acceptable. Very acceptable. <laughs> oh my god, you and your Sarayas. But not Princess Ruta because she was a little creepy about it. A little creepy. A little creepy. So, highly, I would probably give this, like I said, I would give this an 8 out of 10. I, I, I love this game, but also, like I said, I'm not nearly as much of a Zelda fan as you are, and I definitely can tell, like when I went back and played it for a little bit this last, about two weeks ago, I think I, I played it ago, just a little bit of it. It definitely shows a little bit of wear and tear, but it's still a classic game. It's a product of its age. It's not. And that's and that's that's what I'm not, saying. It's not the shiny box it used to be. And that's okay. And I'm okay with that. And I it's can enjoy like, it for what it is. But just from a technical aspect, even though Majora's Mask is on the exact same engine, it has a lot more polish. Oh yes, 100. Well, the, the time turning back mechanic isn't for everybody, but like from a mechanical standpoint, it's way more polished. Oh, way more. 100. percent So. Well, if you guys have not uh, played this yet, uh, if you're one of the like ten people in the world that haven't got a chance to touch this game, go out find it, guys. Uh, like I said, it's you can find it, you know, on you know, I said we said earlier, Switch Online. If you want to play it on there, on your Switch console, you can find it. You know, there's tons of ROMs out there for this. You can find it, but like I said, no matter how you do it, check it out. It's a blast. We loved it to death. So, uh, James, I just want to say thanks for coming in and kind of. Uh, I don't know, wringing our hands, weeping a little bit, broing out a little bit. Let's do that. We've been broing out a little <laughs> bit about yeah. broing out about uh, some one of your favorite franchises ever. Because I know oh, you, yeah. oh, I know you love Zelda. Death between Zelda and Pokemon, you if they came out with a game every year between the two of these, you would probably just have you know I'd a pig happy, in mud. I'd be happy camper. Yeah, I know it's hundred percent. So, um, but guys, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, just let us know if you want us to hit more Zelda related topics. Things like that. If you want us to just do exclusive Nintendo stuff, which James would probably be okay with, let us know. Yeah, makes sense. But Nintendo stuff is fun. (laughs) Either way, guys, I just want to say thanks for coming in, listening to us, and we will see you next month for our for another hopefully wonderful review. Mm -hmm. All right, see you later, guys. Bye. If you're interested in keeping up to date with new episodes on our channel, add us on any of your favorite podcasting apps, or subscribe to our YouTube channel at. Seriously Pointless Conversations. If you have questions or concerns, please email us at seriouslypointlessconvo at gmail.com. We appreciate any feedback. 
Thank you for listening to our show.